Esther chapter 6 tonight, as we make our way through this study, we are witnessing God's providence, which is the theme of this book. This is an account of those Jews who decided to remain in Persian exile. The Babylonians took over the house of Judah, and for 70 years they held them captive until the Persians came in. And God foretold of the Babylonian captivity for seven years, and He even foretold that Cyrus would come one day by name, like 150 years before he was ever even born. He mentioned how Cyrus would come on the scene and how he would release them from captivity, which he did. They were free to return to the land and rebuild Jerusalem and the temple. Uh, Curiously, though, only 50 to 60,000 of them decided to return back to Judea Uh, to Jerusalem. All the rest remained scattered throughout the areas they had been sown. They had been taken captive. And as a result, those who chose not to return are now out of the will of God because God had a land prepared for them. And they chose to stay away from that land. They are not where they ought to be fixing the temple to restore worship the way God prescribed it to be. And so they're out of God's will. But God is keeping them through His providence because God had unfinished business with Judah. And I want to keep highlighting this because I don't want any to inadvertently get the impression from me that it's okay that you live outside of God's will. And and don't worry, God's providence is going to bail you out. That's not what I'm suggesting. Understand that God operates for His namesake. He doesn't owe us anything except what is laid out in His Word. And other than that, don't expect God just to come bail you out because you decided to live outside of the will of God. God keeps His Word. And for that cause, God is working behind the scenes here in the book of Esther on behalf of the Jews who have decided to remain in exile. And it's not because they deserved it. And, and we are at the place in, in this account where God's providence is now on full display. It has, it has been throughout this account, but now these events are happening very rapidly, and we're starting to see just how much God has planned this all out. So they had a three-day fast, you'll recall, to pray about Esther going in before the king, her husband. And after they fasted, um, she decides to go in. She, she had said ahead of time, if I perish, I perish. And so she's got courage to go before the king to talk to him about the genocidal decree that Haman has issued to destroy the Jews in just 11 months. And God turned the heart of the king. And though he had not called for Esther in 30 days, when she appears before him unbidden and he could have taken her life, he instead extends the golden scepter out to her indicating that she had been received by him. And the king says, I'll grant you your request, even to the half of the kingdom. And she says, well, I want to invite you to a banquet. Amen. (laughs) And so they have a banquet later that day, and she invites Haman along, which is interesting to me. She invites Haman, the king, and of course herself is there, and the king asked her at the banquet, what, what wilt thou, Queen Esther? I'll give it to you, even the half of the kingdom. And she, she comes up short. 
it, it looks as though she's balking here, like she just doesn't have the courage all of a sudden. And, and we don't know, we're not told. But she, she pumps the brakes and she doesn't tell the king. She says, you know what, let's have another banquet tomorrow. Well, that sounds pretty good, amen? That's like Christmas Eve and Christmas. And so they have another banquet. <laughs> and anyway, they're going to go to another banquet the next day and she's supposed to tell them there. <clears throat> we haven't got that far along yet in the account. But Haman, he leaves that banquet feeling pretty good about himself. You know, he, he was in the inn. And as he's leaving the banquet, he's, he's excited, but he goes through the gate, and Mordecai still refuses to bow before him, and his joy is turned into indignation. He goes home, he brags about the banquet to his wife and friends, but he tells them, all of this availeth me nothing so long as I see Mordecai the Jew sitting in the king's gate. Well, they advise Haman, build a gallows 50 cubits high. Are you kidding? That's like 75 feet. Build a gallows 75 feet high and hang Mordecai on it. Well, he likes that idea. And they said, when the morning comes, you can go and tell the king your plan, and then you can go on to the banquet and you can be happy again. <laughs> Amen. And so that's, that's the plan here. And he spends the night having this gallows made. He's so excited about it that he's the very first one in the office the next morning. Remember, Esther did not tell the king her request. And it's a good thing she didn't. Because remember, it was on that night the king could not sleep. And what does he call for? Of all that he could have called for, he calls for the record of the Chronicles to be brought in before him, to be read, that might fall back asleep, presumably would be the intent there. Um, I gave you the advice, if you're tired or if you can't sleep, read Chronicles, amen? First Chronicles 1, chapters 1 through 9. And just trying to pronounce the names, you'll need Alexander Scorby and his voice will put you out, amen? So on that night he couldn't sleep. He calls for the Chronicles and it just so happens, right, quote, it just so happens the account that is read is the account of Mordecai saving the king's life back in chapter 2. <laughs> what are the odds out of all that the king could have called for that he calls for a book? And out of all the books that he could have called for, he calls for the Chronicles. And out of all the places they could have read in these Chronicles, they read this account of Mordecai saving the king's life. Well, the, the odds aren't very good, except God is orchestrating everything. Amen. <laughs> This is all God's providence. And we might could add, what are the odds that this didn't put the king to sleep? He stays, he's not only awake, but he's staying attentive, almost as if this is an action story. What happened to Mordecai? Nothing. Well, we got to fix it. And so he not only doesn't fall asleep, he's attentive. What honor and dignity hath been done to Mordecai for this? The king's servants inform the king there's nothing done for him. So the king, he's anxious now to honor Mordecai. And so he asks, who is in the court? Well, guess who's in the court? The man who wanted to be there first thing in the morning to tell the king his plan. It's Haman. He's already at work. And he wants to be the first one to speak to the king to kill Mordecai. <laughs> the king wants to honor him. Haman wants to kill him. And so the king calls for Haman to enter and he asks him, 
What shall be done unto the man whom the king delighteth to honor? By the way, we're still recapping. And Haman in his pride, well, obviously he's wanting to honor me. That just makes sense. And so he, in his pride, figures, well, how would the king want to honor me? What would I tell the king? Now, this is where I think it is interesting that Esther invited Haman to the banquet. Because to me, that just seems odd. Why would I talk to the king about something Haman did with Haman there? Right? That's how I, I would think. I would want to have a closed-door meeting with the king. And yet, she invited him along, and we're, we're not told why, but evidently, it, it was part of God's plan to help Haman be even more prideful, if you will. Because he's thinking, yeah, I'm in the inner circle. And so because I just had this banquet and I'm invited to another one today, it's just going to be the three of us. Um, who else is he wanting to honor? That's his thinking. So he's emboldened to build the gallows. He, in, he advises the king in how to honor someone. Haman is sensing no threat at this point. And so this is what he advises the king in verses 8 and 9. Let the royal apparel be brought, which the king useth to wear, and the horse that the king rideth upon, and the crown royal which is set upon his head. And let this apparel and horse be delivered to the hand of one of the king's most noble princes, that they may array the man with all whom the king delighteth to honor, and bring him on horseback through the street of the city, and proclaim before him, Thus shall it be done to the man whom the king delighteth to honor. Now we didn't get into this last time, but... Isn't it interesting what Haman advises him to do, thinking that he's the one that's going to be honored? I, I find this interesting. He says, bring the king's clothes. Bring the king's crown. Bring the king's horse. Uh, it's almost as if you get the sense Haman is after more than just honor, but that he has his eye on the throne one day. I, I don't know. It just seems odd that he would say, bring your clothes, your crown, and your horse, and let me be just trotted throughout the city. Um, well, wouldn't you just love to have seen the expression on Haman's face when the king said, make haste and take the apparel and the horse as thou hast said, and do even so to Mordecai the Jew. Oh, man. Well, he's got no choice but to obey. Right? It's the king's orders. And so he does as he's told. And this does bring us to where we left off for tonight. Let's read verses 12 through 14 of chapter 6. And Mordecai came again to the king's gate, but Haman hasted to his house mourning and having his head covered. And Haman told Zeresh, his wife, and all his friends everything that had befallen him. Then said his wise men and Zeresh's wife unto him, If Mordecai be of the seed of the Jews, before whom thou hast begun to fall, thou shalt not prevail against him, but shalt surely fall before him. And while they were yet talking with him, came the king's chamberlains, and hasted to bring Haman unto the banquet that Esther had prepared. So after being awarded the highest honors, we see in verse 12 that Mordecai goes right back to work. <laughs> he definitely was not in the military, the military would have given you the rest of the day off, <laughs> and maybe then some, and they would do it on a time when a four-day weekend's coming, so you get four and a half. Anyway, he came again to the king's gate. This is where he worked. One might think he'd get the rest of the day off, but no, he's back to work doing his job. On the other hand, Haman, he went to work that day thinking, 
This is the day I finally get to have Mordecai I killed. But instead, he ended up being forced to honor him at the king's command, and instead of getting back to work, he's now got the poochie lip. Right? He has himself a pity party. And he runs back to his house in mourning with his head covered, which was a sign of shame and discouragement and all those things. He's disappointed. He's behaving like an embarrassed child who didn't get their way and really needs his butt whipped. Today, there would be any number of things Haman could have been diagnosed with (laughs) to reassure him, it is not your fault, Haman. And then he would have been prescribed something to help with his mood swings. Um, Job 20 and verse 5, it says, The triumphing of the wicked is short, and the joy of the hypocrite but for a moment. Well, in verse 13, Haman tells his wife and friends of the horrible day he's had. And no doubt his sweet wife, who (laughs) advised him to kill Mordecai, is going to offer him some words of comfort. Put her arm around him, make him a nice bowl of chicken noodle soup or something. Whatever people eat when they're moping. See, my, I don't know because my appetite never changes. Even when I had the flu last week, Adrian was like, you want some chicken and rice? No, I want a steak. <laughs> I still have my appetite, amen? Well, whatever people eat when they're, when they're bummed out, um, maybe she's going to help them out. No, not this lady. So he tells, he tells her of this horrible day that the king actually delighted and honored Mordecai But I think Haman still had a pretty good day. I mean, think about it. He said, let the most noble princes be used to bring the man through the city that you delight to honor. Well, Haman was chosen. I mean, he still had a position of high nobility. He still was looked upon as a guy in, in, in high regard. And how sad that Haman is allowing this one man to affect his life so much. He's still number two in the empire. He's essentially the prime minister. But he just can't get over this one man disrespecting him. Like the old saying goes, he's allowing Mordecai to live rent-free in his head. Is there anyone here like Haman? There's just that one person you wake up and they're on your mind and you're just ticked. They rub you the wrong way and that's how you occupy your time. You're allowing them to rob you of the joy that we should have in Christ. So let it go. You know, Haman should have been content that he's the prime minister over the largest empire in the world at that time. He could visit any of the 127 provinces at any time and be treated with the utmost respect. But he's allowed this one man to cast a shadow over everything else in his life. We'll see later on. He was blessed with ten sons. He's got a family. He's got position. He's got power. He's got prestige. And yet this one man is just ruining his life. And he can't get over it. And how sad. I mean, in in a sense, you feel bad for Haman. But we know he's a wicked man, and he'll get get his just deserve. But, you know, it's just sad. As believers in Christ, we need to learn that godliness with contentment is great gain. And we shouldn't be upset when someone else is honored in the world's eyes. 
You know, let them have their day. Our reward day is yet to come. And not to mention any glory that we may receive even upon this earth, we ought to give that glory back to God. Don't ever get the impression that you are something and that you are deserving of everybody's respect and, and, and this position in life. If you have any honor, if you happen to gain any respect, don't let it go to your head. Don't forget who you are in Christ, where He brought you from and out of. And always remember we're nothing apart from God. Listen to the words of Jesus as He spoke, spoke against the pride of the scribes and the Pharisees. In Matthew 23, verses 5-12. through 12, But all their works they do for to be seen of men. They make broad their, their phylacteries and enlarge the borders of their garments. And love the uppermost room at feast, and the chief seats in the synagogues and greetings in the markets, and to be called of men, Rabbi, Rabbi. But be not ye called rabbi, for one is your master, even Christ. And all ye are brethren. And call no man your father upon the earth, for one is your father, which is in heaven. Neither be ye called masters, for one is your master, even Christ. But he that is greatest among you shall be your servant. And whosoever shall exalt himself shall be abased. And he that shall humble himself shall be exalted. First Peter 5, 6 Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that He may exalt you in due time. So we're to be humble servants of our Lord, and we should not expect any better treatment from the world than our Lord received. Amen. Haman, being a prideful man, felt he deserved better than he received, and yet he practically had everything. He had received much already, so in verse 13... He tells his wife and his friends about it. And, and he would have told them how he never got the opportunity to even talk to the king about putting Mordecai to death. And he would have told them how he was forced to honor Mordecai instead. And so at a time you would think his wife is going to be a sweetheart, she responds, and the rest of them in verse 13... If Mordecai be of the seed of the Jews before whom thou hast begun to fall, thou shalt not prevail against him, but shall surely fall before him. Well, that's a nice pick-me-up, amen? Sorry you had a tough day. It's your last. No, thanks, honey. Job said to his friends, I have heard many such things. Miserable comforters are ye all. Who needs enemies when you have friends like this? They give Haman no reassurance at all. And can you imagine how he would have felt at this point? Just last night they told him, go in unto the king and have Mordecai hanged on the gallows. And here they are the next afternoon telling Haman, well, it looks like you're going to die before Mordecai. Good luck, buddy. I mean, that's it. It's almost like they're content that he's going to be out of the picture. Must have been a great guy. It's interesting how they were full of advice the day before. They knew he was a Jew then. And, and they, <clears throat> they were full of advice the day before and said, well, just make a gallows and, and have him killed. But now they have no advice. 
they don't even suggest to Haman, you know, maybe you ought to humble yourself before this man and try to make this right somehow. They don't tell him to be nice to Mordecai or make a last-ditch effort or anything like that. And so they just tell him, this is your downfall. The devil had put all of this death and revenge into the heart of Haman. But where's the devil now? You see, the devil doesn't care for those that he uses. You find them drunk in the gutter, shot up in the park with drugs, and we could go down the list of sins. He, he doesn't care. And he, he picks out Haman, he uses him for his own purposes, and now he just hangs him out to dry. Really hangs him out to die. He uses and abuses people for his own wicked devices, and then he leaves them for death. And now we see how they speak with certainty of Haman's downfall. And, and that's interesting. The, the day before, kill him. Now with certainty, they're saying, you're going to die. And they, the reason they give, if Mordecai be of the seed of the Jews, thou shalt not prevail against him. Well, that's interesting because according to Esther 5.13, they knew that Mordecai was a Jew and they recommended Haman take his life. Why now would they say because he's a Jew you're going to die? Uh, just interesting. As a pagan people who conquered the people who conquered the Jews. Did you get all that? It's a lot of conquering there, but... Why would this information make them so certain that Haman now cannot prevail? Well, we, we aren't told. Perhaps it was just instinctive and nothing more than their understanding of Persian politics. The sudden turnaround of, the situ of this situation where a, a Jew, which Haman had decreed to destroy, was now being honored, may have been enough for them to draw their conclusion and say, well, your days are numbered, understanding the way the Persians operated. Perhaps they felt Mordecai's newfound honor would gain, him, would gain him enough favor with the king that Mordecai could go in before the king and have Haman put to death. In other words, that maybe Mordecai was going to do the exact same thing that Haman was going to do to him. Maybe that was their thinking. Perhaps they knew of the accounts of God's past deliverances of the Jews and the children of Israel. Maybe they knew of the deliverance of Daniel and the three Hebrew children when they were under Babylonian captivity, and how those who plotted against Daniel and the three Hebrew children's destruction, they were in turn destroyed. Maybe they, they heard of those stories, those accounts, and it wouldn't have been uncommon for that to have taken place. We know from other Bible passages. Maybe they remembered how it was Cyrus, their own previous emperor, who decreed that the Jews could be released from captivity and showed them favor by allowing them to return and rebuild. It, it certainly wasn't uncommon for people to recognize these kind of events. Remember in Joshua's day when the spies went to Jericho and they come in contact with Rahab and she says, For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt. And what she did unto the two kings of the Amorites that were on the other side of Jordan, Sihon and Og, whom ye utterly destroyed. Jericho had heard of that already. And people were talking. The inhabitants of Gibeon, they, they come to Joshua. They pretend that they're from a far country, if you remember that, 
They put on old clothes. They had old food. And they come before Joshua to make a league with him. And they tell him the same thing Rahab told uh, the two spies. And they tell him, look, we've heard what God did when you came out of Egypt. We, we know what you did to the kings of the Amorites. Spare our life. And so they, they had these accounts that were being handed down. And so maybe those past deliverances of the Hebrews causes these to tell Haman, you're a goner. <laughs> I don't know, we're not told. It does, make, it does make you wonder how a people back then could hear of the great things God would do, and yet they would hang on to their idolatry. Isn't that weird? You would think, oh man, people would turn to the Lord. But they don't. It's almost like people would hear that America is the greatest nation on earth and how we were founded on godly principles. Surely we would all turn to the Lord. No. Well, we're not told why they're so dogmatic about Haman's impending doom, but they were assured of it nonetheless. The one thing is for certain, listen to me now, the enemies of God will be destroyed. The day is coming. And, and, and those who stand against His purposes and against His people are eventually going to fall under the mighty hand of God. Philippians 3, 18 and 19, For many walk of whom I have told you often, and now tell you even weeping, that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction. Psalm 110, verses 1 and 2, The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou at my right hand, until I make thine enemies thy footstool. The Lord shall send the rod of strength out of Zion, Rule thou in the midst of thine enemies. And then verses 5 and 6 of that same psalm. The Lord at thy right hand shall strike through kings in the day of His wrath. He shall judge among the heathen. He shall fill the places with dead bodies. He shall wound the heads over many countries. He's, he wins. Whoop. So rest assured, God's promises will come to pass. We, we may have to put up with the enemy for who knows how long, but God will prevail and He will triumph over His enemies in time. And so I would tell you tonight, learn to trust the Lord. Trust His watch care. Trust His timing. Don't take matters into your own hands. Now we need to close with verse 14 and notice God's perfect timing. Look at what it says here. And while they were yet talking with him, came the king's chamberlains and hasted to bring Haman unto the banquet that Esther had prepared. <laughs> so if you're following this, before Haman even has an opportunity to process it, he doesn't have a chance to really make a plan. He, he doesn't have an opportunity to run for it. He... <laughs> As they're speaking to him, in comes the king's chamberlain and says, Haman, you got to come on. we got to get to the banquet. He doesn't even get to say, look, I, I just had a bad day. No, he's got to go to this banquet. And so as they are speaking, they come in. They're telling him of his downfall. Keep that in mind. They're telling Haman, you're, you're going to fall. And as they're telling him, in comes the king's chamberlain's to fetch Haman. Now, what do you think that would have done to Haman? I think it would have puffed him right back up. They had just said, look, you're, this is your downfall. And, and yet, now he is hastily, quickly, he's being summoned out to this banquet with the king and Esther. You see, God is at work in the timing of all of this. Yeah. 
And I think it reassured Haman in his pride that despite the counsel of his wife and friends, that no, I really am still in the king's favor. I'm going to this exclusive banquet. And I must still be somebody. So he believes he's still a favorite of the king, that he's in no danger of falling. I I believe that would have been his perception. But remember the proverb, pride goeth before destruction, and an haughty spirit before a fall. Isn't it interesting that the wife said, you will fall before this Jew. And Haman here gets this reassurance that he's still in the king's favor. His pride is going before his destruction. Obadiah chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. Or is there only one chapter in Obadiah? Oh boy, I would tell you to look, but it'd take you 20 minutes to find it. Um, The pride of thine heart hath deceived thee. Thou that dwellest in the clefts of the rock, whose habitation is high, that saith in his heart, Who shall bring me down to the ground? Though thou exalt thyself as the eagle, and though thou set thy nest among the stars, thence will I bring thee down, saith the Lord. Haman is blinded by his pride. And his pride will lead to his downfall, which we will see next time when we get into chapter 7. So, trust in the Lord to deal with your enemies. Amen? Trust His timing. You don't have to be the avenger. His timing is best. His ways are best. He will not fail to bring judgment against the ungodly. All in His due time. So until next time, let's pray.